Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Causes or Cures podcast. I'm Dr. Eeks, your host. Thanks so much for joining in today. So obviously, you've heard about monkeypox, the outbreak here in the U.S., and I believe uh, there's cases now in at least 30 other countries. And there is a lot we don't know how exactly it is spreading Uh, right? The potential, the question of sexual transmission, the potential of asymptomatic spread. Uh, Did it jump from some other animal species? These are questions, lots of questions. And you know, when there's lots of questions, uh, there's a lot of speculation and ideas and theories, some that seem more far-fetched than others. But there we are. (laughs) What we do know is that monkeypox is not a new virus, right? It's been around for a while. It's not like COVID-19, which just boom, hit us. It was a new virus, and we had to learn everything about it and then try to figure out how to respond to it. And there were mistakes made along the way, and people, you know, it was a learning process. Um, But dealing with that level of, of uncertainty and communicating that to the public Uh, just from a public health perspective, has been very, very difficult. So while this current outbreak of monkeypox is getting a lot of media attention and is inspiring some clever, even funny memes, right, Um, and speculation about where it came from, what a lot of people aren't talking about is the monkeypox outbreak that started in Nigeria in 2017 and continues to this day. In fact, health professionals in Nigeria sounded the alarm back then that they were seeing something different in this outbreak. And and mind you, before that, they hadn't seen a case of human monkeypox, I believe, 40 years prior. Um, So they tried to sound the alarm, but the international world, particularly the rich nations like us here in the U.S. um, that are panicking over monkeypox right now, essentially ignored Nigeria's warning, which is unfortunate. Unfortunate because, as my guest will explain, their outbreak is very similar to what the rich countries are seeing right now. And maybe if we paid attention and dedicated research and resources back in 2017, we'd be ahead of the game. But here we are. My guest today is an infectious disease expert in Nigeria, Dr. Demie Ogoina, who actually saw the index case, or which is another word for the first case, of human monkeypox in 2017 at a hospital in Nigeria. He is president of the Nigerian Infectious Disease Society and has published many papers on monkeypox, particularly related to the outbreak in Nigeria. So in this podcast, he will talk about the outbreak in Nigeria, the first case, the symptoms that they saw and they're still seeing, thoughts on transmission, things that were unusual, things that stood out, um, and things that are similar to what we're seeing here and these other countries are seeing right now. He will also talk about the mutations in this particular strain Uh, potential animal reservoirs, meaning if the virus hangs out in some other animals and then jumps to humans and causes disease that way. What are his thoughts there? The relationship between smallpox and monkeypox uh, 
and he'll talk a little bit about the smallpox vaccine and you know um, how that is protective against somewhat protective against monkeypox. And perhaps most importantly, he will talk about what we can do better as a global health community going forward, addressing these outbreaks in a more timely manner, these outbreaks that affect multiple countries. You know, they might start in one country, uh, but we shouldn't be treating it like a silo um, and what we can do better there. And just so you know, um, if there's anything you don't understand, I did try to summarize what Dr. Ogoina said after he said it. Um, so, and if you have any questions, you can reach out to me via email and I can email him and perhaps he'll respond too. All right, guys, one second while we connect here. All right. Um, so thank you so much for doing this. Uh, and um, cause, because I know that Nigeria experienced um, an outbreak that, that you guys weren't expecting in 2017 of monkeypox. And we're going to talk about that. But if you don't mind, first, um, could you tell us a little bit about you, the work you do, the type of medicine that you practice? Okay, that's that's fine. Um, of course, my name is uh, D. Miel Goyna, and I'm an infectious disease physician, and also a professor of medicine and infectious disease at the Niger Delta University, and the Niger Delta University Teaching Hospital, both located in Baeza State. I'm currently the president of the Nigerian Infectious Disease Society. And I also serve as the chief medical director of the teaching hospital in Bayelsa State. I have been a case manager for most of the infectious disease outbreaks that we have had in my state, Bayelsa State. And I also coordinate uh, the subject matter experts for COVID-19 case management in uh, Nigeria. Of course, I was case manager for the first cases of human monkeypox reported in by Elsa, which is also in my hospital. Right. Um, and that's Niger, Niger Delta University Teaching Hospital. Yes, Niger right. Delta University Teaching Hospital. Yeah. And that was the first, the index case, as they call it, of, of the human monkeypox outbreak in 2017. So you guys were the first ones to deal with it. Certainly, certainly, yeah. Yeah. Um, so for just, just for any listeners who don't know. So we, so we obviously have uh, an outbreak of monkeypox um, in, I, want, I think, over 30 countries now. Um, and I'm in the U.S. And the last time we had an outbreak was in 2003 uh, from prairie dogs that they, they thought um, were, I guess, infected from mammals that came from Ghana. But in, in Nigeria, um, the cases that you saw in 2017, and this was after, when 40 years, your country hadn't seen a case. Is that right? Yeah, very right. Okay. And then up now, from so from like 2017 to now, if I read correctly, you have at least 558 confirmed cases. Um, you know, those are suspected cases. Suspected cases. Oh, suspected cases. Okay. So not confirmed. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, yeah. So can you take us back to to that time and and what happened to 2017 when you know this first person came to your hospital and you're like what is this okay yeah so um 2017 i think that was around is it september august now not too sure again 
think September or so. Um, I was told, I was there in my office and somebody called me from the pediatric ward to say that they had a young boy on admission that has visited several private hospitals and was not doing very well. They had made a diagnosis of chickenpox and came to my hospital. And one of our clinicians felt this perhaps could be monkeypox. And they wanted a second opinion from me. Of course, I'm not a pediatrician. I, I am an adult physician. But since I'm an infectious disease specialist, I was invited to also come and take a look. And uh, when I saw the patient together with other clinicians, it, the lesions appeared to be classical from what, uh, of course, that time I'd never, in my practice, I've never seen a case of human monkeypox. I've only seen pictures um, online and uh, medical textbooks. But on seeing that case, the presentation in terms of the skin lesions just resembled some of those cases that we saw from DRC. And so I also uh, sort of corroborated the diagnosis to say this is most likely to be human monkeypox. And we subsequently informed the uh, Nigerian Center for Disease Control. And that's what started the chain of events that led to the uh, 2017 outbreak of human monkeypox in Nigeria. And um, and I know you, and you're probably following uh, the cases that are happening here in the U.S. and a couple of the other countries, but I, it, you guys were surprised based on everything I've read. Um, and, and I think um, the Nigerian CDC reported to the World Health Organization in September of 2017, if I'm correctly, and they said, hey, something's going on here. You guys should keep an eye on this. Is, is that right? Yeah, certainly. So, because it was like out of the blues. The last yeah. time we had uh, human monkeypox was in 1978. And since 1978, we have not had a single case yeah. uh, from anywhere. No suspicion of human monkeypox. And suddenly it just reemerged in 2017. And right. it was also very unusual because the cases that were subsequently reported appeared not to be linked to each other. Not only in my state, other states also started reporting cases just suddenly. In that month, cases just started coming up all over the place. And so it was a bit surprising and also very unusual uh, to have seen cases of monkeypox around the country, not just in one state. And the many other things that were peculiar about the outbreak, and I'm sure we'll get to address during the course of this discussion. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you, I guess you were kind of already. Uh, warning the world, you know, when you reported to the World Health Organization, you were saying this is unusual. Um, so keep an eye out for this. And, and it was in different parts of your country, as you just said. So can you talk a little bit about the the symptoms that you saw um, and maybe the course of the disease and anything that stood out as maybe being unusual? Yeah, so uh, when the first patient came, it was an 11-year-old uh, boy uh, who had uh, skin lesions, papular, nodular. In fact, the skin lesions were even nodular. We had some ulcerated lesions on the buccal mucosa that's around the mouth. Then he had lesions on all over the body, the sole, the feet, the face, um, and also had the prodromal symptoms of fever. Uh, so. 
a few days, in fact, two days, I think, after we made this diagnosis, a pregnant woman came in. Uh, she was 26 weeks pregnant. And I was again called that there's somebody in the emergency that had a lesion that looks like monkeypox. This one, the lady was a young lady, just 20 something years old, young lady. And we went to the emergency, and lo and behold, it turned out to be monkeypox. Then, uh, but, well, during the course of her admission, she had a spontaneous abortion, lost the baby, although she did well and recovered. And suddenly, we started reporting cases all over the place in the state. Then the siblings of the index case also reported to have had, had monkeypox. And historically, as a matter of fact, that index case was not necessarily the index case. Of course, index case for the purpose of the epidemic, but we're told by the family that who the person that got infected in that family was the uncle of that boy. He was about 34, 35 years old. He was the first to get infected in that family. Before the index case got infected, the younger brother of the index case and the parents of the index case. So there was a family cluster there of the uncle, the index case, the younger brother of the index case, the parents of the index case got infected. Uh, so most of our patients, ultimately, we, at the initial phase, we felt that we'll be seeing cases among children following reports from DRC and Central African Republic that the children are most affected. But it was unusual to me, for instance, I started seeing young boys and girls, young adults between the ages of 20 to 30 coming in with monkeypox. They're just coming in from different parts, different parts. And what was also striking to me at that time for some of our patients is that they had significant genital ulcers. They had significant genital ulcers. And I remember telling a colleague of mine that, is it possible this is sexually transmitted? What is happening here? What is happening? Where are they having genital ulcers? Of course, nobody ever thought of uh, sexual transmission at that time. Um, so even at that time, I had to do a what you call sexual screening interview for some of our patients. I'm yet to publish that paper. But if you look at our report in the in Plus One Journal of the experience of my hospital, you will notice there that we also indicated that in view of the unusual appearance of genital ulcers amongst uh, our patients, it would be important to explore the role of uh, sexual routes in the right. uh, transmission of uh, human monkeypox, yeah. So that was um, your 2019 paper, I think, the one I came in, plus yeah, one. Yeah, okay. yes, plus one, yes. Yeah. And, right, yeah. so I think that's important to um, for the listeners to hear, So because you guys were the first ones in 2017 to say, we don't know, but we're seeing these genital lesions, sexual transmission could be happening. We have to research this further. Is that fair to certainly, say? Certainly, certainly, certainly. Okay, okay. Um, but the genital lesions were unusual. They were very unusual. In terms of uh, what was unusual here is one, the fact there was significant genital ulcers. Secondly, the age group affected. Most of the patients affected were between the age of 20 to 40 years. Then that they were predominantly male. It was very, very unusual. Then, of course, we saw a trend later where some HIV-infected patients got infected and they had very bizarre lesions, very big, unusual lesions, not just on the genitalia, now even different parts. There was a patient that had a very large calf lesion who was uh, HIV-infected. And before now, even huh. monkeypox lesions were known to be less than 2 cm, but we have patients having lesions close to 20 cm large. 
Oh. Very large lesions. Yeah. So uh, we had just just this kind of uh, unusual presentation. So large lesions, which are unusual. And I did, and, and from that paper, uh, you said 81% of the people you saw were males, uh, which um, at least right now, based on the stuff I'm reading uh, with the outbreak in all these different countries and here in the US, it's mostly males too. Yeah, mostly males. That That is also remarkable. So why males? It's remar very remarkable. Right, right. Mm. And and then you mentioned um, in, in the H, the people who had HIV, they had a more severe case. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So we, we noticed that they had uh, more bigger lesions, yeah. uh, more complications, and uh, if, uh, enough substantial number. Well, I said in terms of proportion, about yeah. four of the seven patients were HIV infected that died. Oh, wow. And four. they have longer, they, they had longer hospital stay. Longer, okay. Longer, I was to stay too. So, um, so I'm going to get to transmission, but can we talk a little bit about the the case fatality rate? So, um, and just for people who don't know that, just people who were diagnosed with with monkeypox and who who died, the percentage of those people who who died, because, um, and my understanding is that the the strain that is um, in uh, central is it central. Right. Central Africa is actually more virulent and more virulent. More mortality, yes, more mortality than the West African cloud. Right. For so, our cohort, okay. the mortalities, estimated mortality now is about 3.6%. If you look at the cases from 2017 to date, 3.6%. Uh, but during the outbreak, it was about uh, 6%. About 6%. Okay. But cumulatively, from then to now, it's about 3.6%. Wow, so I think that's a little, that's higher than uh, they're reporting over here. Is that your understanding as well? Yeah, so, so well, yes, it's much higher than what, yeah. I'm not sure if anybody has died in Europe and America. Right. I, I'm not I aware. Didn't think so. I'm, yeah, I, I think nobody has, <laughs> nobody <Okay>. has died. <laughs> so, so, uh, so it will certainly be different. It will certainly be different. And there are a number of factors that contribute to the mortality apart from HIV infection. Mm -hmm. uh, we lost one of our patients from suicide, which we have also published that. And that's the psychological aspect of human monkeypox too. Right. Then we lost uh, one patient, essentially from late presentation. Health-seeking behavior is a challenge, as you know, in most developing countries. So some people have lesions, they don't come to the hospital, they go to other places until they are very sick. That's when they come to the hospital. I think uh. one patient, one remarkably one patient we lost like that, that came in with multiple lesions that were infected, had sepsis, mm. and they did not spend long in the hospital before it gave up. I see. So it's just, it's the waiting too long, maybe the, the stigma of getting help. Um, yes, stigma and uh, perhaps lack of money and uh, perception about healthcare, orthodox healthcare, cultural beliefs, and the likes. Um, sorry, there's a siren going off. I'm in New York City. Hopefully you don't hear that. Okay. No, no problem. No, um, no problem. And, and just for comparison, um, what is the case fatality rate for the the monkeypox um, clade? Is strain okay to say? Yeah, you can say strain. Yeah. Um, so in Central Africa? So in Central Africa, it's much higher than that of West Africa. And the studies have shown that it could range from 1% to 10%. So it has been as high as 10%, actually. Uh, so okay. so it is, it's generally higher than that of um, 
uh, West Africa. Okay, and I think some people were reporting early on um, for the outbreak in the in the U.S. that the the case fatality rate was really really high because they were going off of those numbers, um, which which isn't what we're seeing right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. So so I think it's a different clades. Different, and right. uh, yeah, different. Okay, let me use the word strain. <laughs> but it's also <laughs> yes, it's also important. One other thing you need to know about uh, what is happening in DRC two is quality of care. I, I told some of my colleagues. Looking at the 2003 U.S. outbreak, I noticed about 14 persons were hospitalized during that outbreak. Out of 40, 45 or 47 that were infected, 14 were hospitalized. And out of that number, close to five or so had intensive care um, admission. Even uh, some people had encephalitis and the like. Ultimately, nobody died. But unfortunately, in most developing countries, we don't have that level of care. So we, we also need to also factor the concept of level of care. Because patients are likely to survive of course, if yeah. the level of care is good enough. Right. And that's actually a challenge in our setting. And that contributes to the mortality, but it may not necessarily be to the disease alone, Yeah. but the level of care offered. Okay, that, that, that makes perfect sense, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Access to quality healthcare. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to get back to transmission. Um, over here, there's a question of asymptomatic spread. Um, and for people who don't know, just people who aren't showing actively showing symptoms or I guess actively having lesions uh, and this spreading that way. What, what are your thoughts on that? Or what did you see in Nigeria? So um, unfortunately, it becomes difficult to make a factual evidence-based statement on asymptomatic spread. I say that because of course, everything has to be based on, based on laboratory data. Um, what we observe, this is what we observe, it becomes difficult because I can only speak about, perhaps, well, I'll give an idea about asymptomatic. When the outbreak started, uh, we did not have capacity to make a diagnosis in Nigeria. So we had a number of suspected cases. People were coming into all types of skin lesions, mosquito bites, um, different types of skin lesions were coming to the hospital. And when we suspect, we put them with cohorting because we did not have a designated isolation facility. And we cohorted people with different skin lesions that we observed later. And what we observed then was that even following cohorting, like some had chicken pox, some had different types of lesions that we had to exclude when the results came up. And we followed them up over time. None of them developed um, monkeypox, which shows that perhaps person to person, they are in the same world, in the same world, some of them even interacted. Um, it, may, it may indicate that person to person or even airborne transmission is limited. But we don't know whether there was asymptomatic transmission because we did not test those patients. I have one case in my hospital now, and it's uh, telling me that before he came to the hospital, he had spent close to seven days with his younger brother, the same bed, sleeping on the same bed. And the younger brother does not have one single lesion. Uh, but we don't know whether the brother has asymptomatic infection. So it becomes difficult to know until we check. So it's difficult to make a conclusive statement or asymptomatic. But what we know is it's not rather efficiently transmitted from person to person because most of the contacts over time we have seen, most of them, except maybe very close contacts, household contacts, sexual contacts, a few of sexual contacts we know. Otherwise, most of the contacts don't get it don't have symptomatic infection, but we can't exclude asymptomatic infection. 
Okay, that makes sense. And I think too, over here, people were getting, you know, if, uh, it, it's hard to say sexual transmission versus just close contact, because obviously you're in close contact. And I, I guess that's hard to figure out too. Um, yeah, it, it, it's hard to figure out. The other, the other thing that is also a bit intriguing is I was talking to a colleague and I said, there's something about this sexual contact, sexual contact, invasive uh, transmission. Because the, the thinking here is that sexual transmission is not actually sexual transmission. It's because of the intimate contact during sex that results in transmission. But the question is, Will somebody that has a horse on the genitalia be interested in sex? So is it possible that transmission occurred before the ulcers emerged? Before the ulcers emerged, or there's something, there must be something there because certainly people uh, with this these ulcers are painful, very discomforting. And you uh, can't take those type of ulcers to have sex. Oh, so that's a good possible. point. <laughs> yeah. So is it possible that transmission occurred before the ulcers, sexual intercourse before the ulcers? I think ah. we, we need to explore it because people with ulcers don't go and have sex with ulcers. Because it's painful. But we are, yes, it's painful. But we are all thinking that there's intimate contact during sex. When they have a lesion, it can be transmitted to other person. But it's very unusual for somebody with a genital ulcer to think about sex because it's painful. Right. No, that's a great point. Because... Um, uh, People over here are just there's all sorts of ideas floating around out there, but I, yeah, I, yeah. Um, now, have you guys learned anything, or what are your thoughts on um, animal reservoirs for for this? I, 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 my understanding is that it's uh, it can hang out in rodents, obviously prairie dogs. We learned that um, in 2003 here, but do you think any of this is maybe jumped, you know, from an animal species to the human species? And so, again, it's uh, difficult to give a definite response on that. We can only rely on the evidence that's available for Nigeria. Uh, 1971, where we had the first two cases, there was a sampling of uh, non-human primates, I think chimpanzees and monkeys, across the communities where we had the first case, and none were turned out to be infected with the virus. I think during, during the 2017 outbreak, uh, there was also some sampling of animals across the community. Uh, although that's fine, that result has not been published, but I, I was told that nothing was found. But I don't think we have done sufficient and extensive animal sampling to determine the range and the type of uh, animal reservoirs for human monkeypox in our country. But you know, other studies have been done in different parts of the world and they've shown that rodents and non-human primates. So the, the question that arises is now either because what the other thing about the outbreak too that was unusual as compared to the other outbreaks in Nigeria and even in DRC is that this the 2017 outbreak and the current cases we are seeing in our, in our country in Nigeria are from the urban setting and they are no more amongst farmers and hunters. Those days you see people that have monkeypox are farmers and hunters that go into the bush that take bush meat and are related to wild animals. Uh. We have people that stay in town. <laughs> and I've never gone to any, anywhere close to animals that the ones having a, a human monkeypox. So we don't know whether there's a new route mm. or perhaps very domestic animals. We have a challenge of Lassa fever in our country and Lassa fever is transmitted by 
create domestic rodents. Right, right. And so these are areas that we need to explore, whether they are new vectors, new reservoirs that are close to human abode and okay. are facilitating the transmission. Yeah. Right, right. No, that, that's a great point. Uh, so you used to see it in the farmers, the hunters, the people who were handling the animals. Now you're seeing it in people who hang out in their houses and they're in town. Yeah. They don't they don't hang out with yeah. any animals. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, I... I know this is a so it's, what's a, a double stranded DNA virus. Is that right? Large. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. And yeah, and, large double stranded DNA. Yeah. And it mutates slowly. Is that right? Very, Terms? very, very slowly. So the studies have, if you look at the published genomic sequencing of the virus over time, it's very, very slow. Although, I am. I'm not an expert in genomic sequencing, but I'm an infectious disease expert. And if you look at what has been published so far, the changes that have occurred from 2017 to date appear to be a bit remarkable. If you can compare what was observed, some of the uh -huh. genome sequencing from 2017 mm -hmm. to the ones that were exported in 2018, 2019, then the current one now in 2022. The divergence is a bit, well, you could say, or let me just give a particular example, for instance. Okay. 1978 was the last time we had an outbreak. And from 1978 to 2017, the genomic sequencing showed that there were about 42 mutations between the strain in 1978 and the strain in 2017-2018 outbreak. But when they looked at the 2017-2018 outbreak, Within that, you know, 1978 to 2017, that's a long time, close to 40 years. So it's like it's taking 40 years for 42 mutations to occur. But what they've now observed now from 2017 to 2022, you have another close to 47 mutations. Wow. So it's taking three years for 43, seven mutations to occur. Of course, this is not, uh, it has not been subject to peer review. I think most people are publishing their genomic sequencing, but this has been observed. Okay. Uh, so whether it's that significant is what we don't know. But certainly there's more evidence of more mutations as compared to what it used to be. Wow. But whether the mutations are really, really significant is what, what we will yet uh, determine. Right. So it, it wasn't, it's not peer reviewed, but this is observation and that rate of mutations has really picked up from 2017, yeah. which is yeah, yeah. You, not necessarily something you would expect. Yeah, so it's, it's actually unusual. It's unusual whether the virus is adapting to the human host. Uh, we don't know. But I think we'll wait for more publication. I will right. get more ideas and it will be a bit clearer. Right, right. Nothing nothing written in stone here. And it's a podcast conversation. <laughs> it's just a conversation. Um, now, but the the strain that, that um, you see, you saw, like the, like the sequence, the gene sequence of the strain, in Nigeria, is that the one that uh, we're seeing in the U.S. or the U.K.? Is that your understanding? Yeah. So, so, so the 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 first exported cases to the U.K. specifically Singapore and Israel. I think no, it's Singapore and uh, am I? Yeah, I think Israel. I did they read was, Israel. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were they did some genomic sequencing and they observed that. The strains were similar from to the strains from in fact from a case in Bayelsa. They had some similarity. They had the, the same ancestry similarity with a strain from Bayelsa. That suggests that 
it could have been from a common ancestor, hmm. common source. Uh-huh. So there is still that relationship. Of course, most of, if not all, I'm not aware of all the cases in Europe and America now yeah. are the West African strain. And they are all linked to, more or less linked to the 2017 uh, outbreak in Nigeria in terms of the type of microorganism responsible. Uh, so they are, all, they are all related. Right, right. And, you know, the, lots of people, we know how it is when you, you uh, I guess, new cases in new countries, people have lots of uh, conspiracy theories about this, but it, it seems like uh, this was happening in your country. It just wasn't, we just weren't paying attention. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, it was happening, and the world was not paying attention. In fact, I did a review on uh, because I was asked to make a presentation on what would be responsible for the rare emergence, and I did a Google trend analysis of uh, interest search for monkeypox across the globe. I first did that for Nigeria, then I did for the globe. And if you look at from let's even say from 2015, across the globe was silence. When we had the 2021 case in the U.S., exported case, if people develop some interest, you will see the search for monkeypox increase. This 2022 outbreak from May, it has gone peaked. A number of people are now interested. So essentially, the world was a bit silent and quiet about human monkey because when it affected um, Nigeria and when mm. we had cases, but apparently now that is everywhere, mm. uh, everybody's, everybody's now interested. Yeah, uh, about it and trying yeah. to find a solution. Yeah, which is unfortunate because obviously, if, it, if they if they listened to you guys back then, right? Uh, we may yeah, not. if they did, because I remember the then DG of the NCDC also made uh, a call for global attention to address mm-hmm. the challenge of human monkeypox. Yeah, uh, to see how that can be addressed in Nigeria, but I don't think there was. Uh, a lot of attention to his request. Right. And everybody was quiet. Yes. But now we are paying attention. <laughs> right, right. Uh, that's um, unfortunate. Um, yeah. But, and, and, and that's something I think we have to improve. We have to improve upon that with, um, you know, emerging infectious diseases in general, uh, we, because the, the world is, is very connected. So even if you, even for just uh, selfish reasons, you know, um, see what's going on there because it's going to come to you sooner or later. That's how these things uh, often work. Um, uh, Certainly. It works that way because uh, yeah. microorganisms don't have the borders. Yeah. And since it's a, the world is a global village, we move. Exactly. We move around. Or even if we don't move, the microorganisms will move. <laughs> right, One way right. or the other, they, they move with us or move with the environment. Yes. Something about the environment, they move with just the way it happens, it happened in 2003, where they moved with rodents. Yes. They just moved. <laughs> so they can always move. So what happens in one country, we should be interested in that con- in what, what is happening there and see how we can collectively, uh, in solidarity, resolve that challenge. I think that's important. Um, I, I agree with you 100%. And hopefully that's something that we improve, improve upon in the future. I wanted to get your opinion, um, you know, what, when we are at, um, got rid of smallpox and uh, everybody used the smallpox vaccine and then they stopped using it. I know it's, it's in the strategic stockpiles here in the U.S., but a lot of people were saying, oh, since we got rid of smallpox and then people stopped getting vaccinated for it, um, it kind of created this environment for, for monkeypox to thrive. What, what is your opinion on that? Yeah, so, so the, what the evidence suggests is that 
And this evidence from studies, both in mainly in West Africa and uh, the uh, Central African uh, countries, that smallpox vaccination offered close to 85 protection, 85 percent protection against uh, monkeypox. So people that, in fact, when I did a review of the Nigerian cases before the 2017, and a few of the cases in Central Africa, all the infected persons were unvaccinated. So certainly smallpox offered some level of uh, protection. And so the discussion here is that, in fact, somebody did a modeling study to look at the level of immunity at, in 1970 when the monkeypox was first discovered and just before the 2017 outbreak. And he reported that in 2016, just about 2.6% of Nigerians had sufficient immunity against autopox virus. It means a large majority of the population are more or less susceptible to, uh, to infection. And so that's, that, that is a challenge. But if a large population is susceptible to the infection, is it time? Of course, we, we have also argued that we have more cases than being reported far more cases because of uh, some gaps in surveillance and case detection in our setting. Uh, so uh, smallpox is protective, and that's why, I mean, uh, essentially, most of the cases we have seen are below 45. It's just one man uh, that was above 50-something. I think he was even HIV infected. Most of the cases we have seen are below 40, below 45. And that indicates that most of them perhaps were not vaccinated because Nigerians stopped the vaccination 19, is this 80, 70, eight, late, late 70s or 80s or so. No, I think in late 70s, Nigerians stopped the smallpox vaccination. So uh, I think that is another area that is also fueling the re-emergence of human monkeypox. Um, now, the smallpox vaccine is, uh, have, have you used, used this in cases? And is, is, is that what? Or how, like, what is your approach? Also, we do not have access to any of the smallpox vaccine in Nigeria. Right. So okay. cases that we see in Nigeria, mm-hmm. we identify contacts, follow up the contacts, provide advice. If they develop symptoms, we treat, mainly symptomatic treatment and, of course, treat complications when they arise. Okay. Nigeria has no experience, to the best of my knowledge, Nigeria has no experience with use of any vaccine for monkeypox, including smallpox vaccine. In fact, I'm very aware that we don't have any stockpile of any smallpox vaccine in our country. Okay. And I mean, I think in the in the U.S., they're giving it to some people now. Um, yes, yes, they are. I know yeah. um, a number of colleagues in the U.S. and the U.K., yeah. Uh, even the first set of cases, a number of, I think a pe- some persons were given, even healthcare workers were given. I think one of the healthcare workers that was even infected was given the vaccine uh, mm. six days after exposure. But I think the, that person also developed an infection. Perhaps the vaccine reduced the severity. Mm. Uh, but we're, we're waiting for evidence. Uh, I think currently there are clinical trials that are ongoing in uh, Central African Republic. Uh, but we don't have any clinical trial ongoing in West Africa with regard to a vaccine. Hmm. Um, so this is really interesting. I, I want to thank you for your time. Um, I, I, I guess, um, so what, what are the main things that, uh, going forward, um, I guess that you learned or, or, or what are your concerns for this, this outbreak? I mean, it seemed like 
you warned the world. You said, hey, this could this could potentially come to you guys. Pay attention to us. And that, that's kind of what happened. We're seeing that now. Yeah. So so I, I think uh, what has happened is an indication of why we need to have some level of global solidarity to fight infectious diseases anywhere in the world. And we should not lose track of the fact that we should do things in an equitable manner and whatever solutions, interventions are thought of or implemented with regard to emerging and re-emerging infectious disease should apply to every part of the world. There are a number of knowledge gaps that relates to human monkeypox, a lot of things we don't know. And there's global attention in human monkeypox. If we don't focus this attention to such a level that it impacts everybody, then we may get to the point where solutions and interventions that will be developed will only apply to the developed world. The understanding of the disease, the perspective of the disease will only apply to the developed world. That's my fear now. We may make a lot of noise around about human monkeypox. And ultimately, because the resources are available, because the level of technology is more advanced than the developing world, you get to understand it better in Europe and America. You get to develop medical countermeasures, interventions and solutions in Europe and America, but Africa will continue to suffer. So efforts to address this human monkeypox challenge to carry Africa along, to carry West Africa and DRC along, because this problem started there. If we don't carry Africa along, we get to a point, the new strain might all come up from the same Africa. So it's important that there's a collective effort that looks at every region of the world and collectively address this thing and whatever solution is brought on the table should be applicable as much as possible to all parts of the world. Right, right. Um, and, you know, we equity, right? You know, just kind of um, making sure that everybody has is equal access. And we, we saw that, you know, with the, even the COVID vaccines, but this is another case of that. COVID-19 vaccine, yes. Yeah. Um, but even just, you know, as I'm reading through my notes and listening to you speak, it's like, you know, just in terms of doing the research and, and setting up the surveillance mm-hmm. and getting the funding to do that. Um, and and the treatment too, uh, you know, because just when you mentioned the quality of care and stuff like that, um, the case fatality rate could be lower, right? Certainly, certainly. So a lot yeah. of things that we need to learn, yeah. and there has to be some investment of our local investment, yeah. institutional investment, and investment from outside too. Yeah. It's very necessary. Without investment, we can't make progress. Right. We can't. Right. We right. Can't. Um. Thank you so much. I know it's late there, or cl- close to nine, right? Yes, close to nine. Close to nine. Yes. Um, but I really appreciate you coming on. I thought this was very interesting, and um, I look forward to sharing it. And um, it was great to hear from you. The, you know, person who saw the the index case, and mm-hmm. that's it's been on your radar. And we we're fools, the rest of us, for not paying attention. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a pleasure talking to you. Pleasure talking to you. Yes, I've also learned a lot. Thank you very much for yes, yes, getting in touch with me. Yeah. Yes, keep in touch. Okay, enjoy the rest of your evening there. Thank you. You you too then. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening in. Um, If you have any comments or questions, you can email me, erin at bloomingwellness.com. And uh, I hope you guys stick around, subscribe. Hopefully, hopefully (laughs) the recording was okay and there wasn't too much background noise or traffic noise. I, I tried to 
edit out most of the traffic noise. Um, but like I said, when you are in New York City, there's going to be noise. Um, yeah. Anyways, I hope you guys learned something. I know I learned something. And um, yeah, interesting. We'll see what happens with this whole monkeypox thing. I just actually read a newspaper article where the World Health Organization plans on changing the name. So if it changes, uh, I don't know what they're changing it to. So um, just so you know, that's when I'm recording this podcast prior before the new name announcement, if there is a new name. <laughs> um, changing of names, man, it confuses me. I'm like, wait, what are we talking about now? Um, anyhow, I digress as usual. I will hopefully see you guys back here soon. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and thanks again for joining in.